The first reading is from Romans chapter 4, verses 9 to 12. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised, or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he's also the father of the circumcised who not only are circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had, had before he was circumcised. And the second reading is from Colossians, chapter 2, verses 11 to 15. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This, St Andrews, is God's word. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we pray as over the next 10 minutes or so we look at your word. We ask that you would quicken it, you would enliven it, you would uh, bring it to our hearts. Lord, we desire, it is the desire of this church, that the word of God would be proclaimed faithfully in a way that would pierce hearts. And Lord, we recognize that only you can do this. And so, Lord, we pray, remove some of the barriers that within our own hearts. And that, Lord, also for myself, that, that what I would say would be truly what you want me to say this morning. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. How have you guys found this whole last week with the whole Queen Elizabeth gig thing and King Charles? I'm sort of wondering what, what, what your um, responses are. I can imagine for some... I heard, um, I can't remember, it was one person in New Zealand, Ed's, in, uh, New Zealand Talk ZB, he was burst into tears at the passing of the Queen and was really d distressed by it. I, was a, I have to say, I was a little saddened by it. And I imagine for others, you're just loving, if you're a royalty lover, this must be like feast week. You've got the whole week as just wall-to-wall -wall coverage uh, of the Queen, the King, uh, um, and you know, the, the queue, I, I've got a person who's tr got the tracking all, all the time of how long the queue is waiting. It is the boss or king of all queues, like 12 to 24 hours just to walk past um, the queen's coffin. And, or perhaps for some of you guys, it's a bit of an overkill. You're just like, can we just move on? This move on. I, I don't know what your thoughts are about um, or the, the queen and the new king. 
But one of the interesting questions that came out was, when does Prince Charles, when, did, when does, or, do, does he, or did he become King Charles III? Is it when his coronation happens, right? The coronation's the big gig. And for the Queen, it was a year after, after her dad died, and everyone comes for that coronation, and there is the, is the crown placed on Queen or next year on the King? Or is it when the Privy Council met uh, and they met in the days afterwards and there's this proclamation and there he signs the form that he's the King? Or is it with the Thanksgiving service? When is it? Well, actually, he becomes the King the very moment the Queen Elizabeth died. All of the rest of the symbolism, including eventually, I guess, our coins having... It's going to be really funny to see coins. I can't wait to see the first coin with the, with the king on it. It'll be interesting. All of that stuff is simply a confirmation and proclamation of what already take place. Now, actually, this is a little different than the United States of America. In the US, they've got this role, and the person's role... The person really only does one thing. He just waits for the top person to die, and the role's called the vice president. So you don't hear much about US vice presidents because they do have a I mean, they, they find things for them to do. But really the vice president, the one thing the US vice president does is when the president dies or is impeached or resigns or whatever, the vice president steps up. And actually, interestingly, if the president dies, the, the most pressing and urgent thing they get the vice president to do is to take the oath of allegiance and swear him in as president. And so, if, has anyone, this is really, really long ago, but in the 1960s, has anyone seen the photo of LBJ being sworn in? Anyone remember that photo? Well, one or two. Well, there was, there was a Kennedy, he was assassinated, and then quickly, LBJ, they rushed him in, they, got it, they found a, a, a judge from somewhere, dragged her in, and there was uh, Jackie Kennedy with the blood of her husband still on her clothes and a group of people, and within minutes... A couple of hours at the, at the latest, she, he was sworn in as the new, the new president. Now, I do realise in the US that there's nuclear codes and pesky things like that. While the king and the British, the prime minister handles all that sort of stuff, while the king gets to do cool stuff by living in palaces and stuff. But nevertheless, there is, there is, a, there is a correlation between the king and his coronation and the Privy Council and what Abraham happens with Abraham. So if you're tuning in, uh, welcome to, uh, by a podcast. We do have some that join in. Welcome to St. Andrew's Geraldine. We've just actually had a baptism of two people this morning, uh, which has been amazing. And, uh, and it just happens to be that this morning's text, and I haven't organized it this way, but it sort of it worked out that this morning's text relates to baptism. And so we, I'm connecting the two uh, this morning. So if you're listening on podcast, welcome. But Paul brings this really, really simple point, but key point about Abraham. Abraham was declared righteous by God through faith ages before he was circumcised. Just like when the, when the crown is put on King Charles and everyone comes to the coronation and it's the biggest party, it's, it's, it's going to happen ages after he became king or at least a year. So Abraham's circumcision and King Charles' coronation both simply confirm a reality that has already happened. Here's what the Bible says. Well, we've been saying that Abraham was counted righteous by God because of his faith. But how did this happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised or during? Or was it before? Clearly God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. Abraham was accepted, forgiven, the father of promise, the father of nations, including specifically the Hebrew nation. He, was, he received all of these things out of faith as a gift from God. 
the circumcision, which rabbis suggest was actually 29 years after, was simply a sign, a proclamation, and a confirmation of a reality that already happened. So what Paul's really getting at here, it really doesn't matter when your body's circumcised, it matters when your heart is circumcised. This is what Colossians 2 puts it. When you come to Christ, you are circumcised, but not by physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. So the New Testament talks about circumcised hearts, which is, I guess, a, I wouldn't use that language. It's not my language, by the way, but it's the Bible's language. But it's talking about the heart change that goes on by what God does in our heart. And this is, again, Romans 4. Circumcision was a sign that Abraham already had faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous even before he was circumcised. So Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith who have never been circumcised. They are counted righteous because of their faith. And Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised, but only if they have the same kind of faith Abraham had before he was circumcised. So today, we've baptized Stefan and Esther, but neither the water or anything else in the ceremony has any power in it. Right? So I, I remember talking to a priest. It was really cool. He had been over into Israel, Catholic priest, and he'd gone to the River Jordan, and he had got the, the water from the River Jordan, and he had taken it all the way back to New Zealand. So any time the babies were baptized, they were baptized with holy water from the River Jordan. Now, I'm not knocking that. I think that's quite cool. But may I suggest there's nothing special about water from the River Jordan. It's still H2O. There is no holy water. There is only a holy God for whom we put our faith in. And by faith, for what Christ has done on the cross. And so there's nothing about the outward ceremonies that really has any saving power in of itself. Now, I thought I believed that when I was growing up. And if someone had said, do you believe? No, I don't. But I remember when I got baptized, and there was, it was actually a Baptist church, and they had uh, not one of those, but they had this proper inbuilt baptismal pool. Has anyone seen Baptist inbuilt baptismal pools? Yeah. So it was one of those. And there, and there, when I went under the water and it came up, I was like, is that it? It was like, is that it? That's what I felt. I was like, what? What? Is there not more that goes on? He said the words, I'm done, that's it. And there was another one coming, so I was out of the water. The next one, next one in the queue. I was like, and so I went home really grumpy about the whole thing, thinking, is this it? But actually, what I needed to know was it really didn't matter how long or what I felt. What mattered was that my heart had been changed and the water baptism was a confirmation of what God was already doing in my life. Right? It was a, it was, it was, it was, that was the issue. So I need to know there's no power in baptism. A baptism simply proclaims the reality of something that has already happened, just like the coronation of King Charles proclaims the reality. He's already, whether you like it or not, some of you be like, no, I want William, not Charles. I've already heard that from a few people. But whether you like it or not, Charles is king until we become a republic or until he passes the throne on to his son, William. And, and so the coronation is simply a confirmation of what takes place, and baptism is exactly the same. So yes, we should get baptized, we should take communion, but there's no saving power in it. So you go, okay, I get it. I'm, I'm with you, Alistair. The circumcision of Abraham happened after he had faith in God. It's, it's the faith in Jesus that matters, not this outward stuff. Yeah, I got that. I got the fact with the water of Stephan and Esther that, yes, they've already got faith in Jesus, and this simply publicly confirms it out of obedience of what Jesus says we should do. Okay, I got it. 
So if that's the case, what more do you say? What more is there than God somebody to say to us? And may I suggest this? I would say work on your heart, not outward performance. Work on what God is doing on the inward, not outward stuff, turning up to church, joining home groups, doing all this external stuff. That matters, but it doesn't matter as much as what God is doing in your individual heart. So while Stefan and Esther getting baptized is important and is done out of obedience to Christ, the really important thing is that they're dead to their old life and have been raised to a new life in Christ. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. See the, con the, the connection between baptism and circumcision there? And with him you are raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins, and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all of your sins. He cancelled the record of charges against you, against us, and took it away by nailing it to the cross. So yes, being forgiven sinners here on earth, we aren't yet perfect. I loved Esther's song, actually, Esther. Why can't we have that more regularly? I, I was, I, did you guys see the lyrics of that? I thought, oh my goodness, this is me. Fail, get up. How did the song know what's going on in my life? I don't know, but it was good. And it was, it was, it was, it was, that was, it was really good. Your, your song was awesome too, Stefan. Um, um, but, um, the, 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 but it was the first time I'd heard Esther's one, I have to say. And so the, may I suggest that while if we are truly Christians, we'll, while we'll still have old patterns of life that haunt us, you know, and tragically we can succumb if we're not, uh, if we're not careful to, you know, and, and these things can happen at the worst times. You know, so Catherine and I were going into an important, you know about the cancer, I can say this, we, we went into an important health clinic last week. And as I was going in, guess what? Catherine and I had an argument. And as I was going into the health clinic, I mean, that's the time you want to be like extra Jesus-like. Well, no, evidently not with me. Um, so I felt really bad about that. Have a Next time, Alistair, no to when have arguments with wife, not when you're going in to go see a doctor about cancer. Bad idea. And so these are things. It didn't matter. It was just a little thing. But nevertheless, we're, we're stuck with these old patterns of behavior. But God, for the authentic Christian, God is working on them and dealing with it. So one key difference between, this is really important you get this, between authentic Christian faith. I'm not talking Presbyterians, Pentecostals, Catholic Orthodox. I'm talking the real deal, whatever denomination you go to. And fake religion is this. One is focused on outward procedures and ceremonies, and the other is focused on the heart change given by the Spirit, which is confirmed and celebrated through outward signs, including baptism. Right? And so... One of the things I see often is that Christians are so working out on the external. Home groups I'm going to, this I'm going to, hands raised. I remember going to a Pentecostal thing. Has anyone uh, seen people being slain in the spirit? All right. Well, I remember going. Some of it was amazing. And then there was one that was, ama it was amazing. And the guy, people, not enough people were falling in the spirit. So he, he gave me a push. Has anyone had a push for someone to fall down? I had that. Why was he doing that? Because he was wanting to have all these people slain in the spirit. And so, there we go. Just, just knocked them down. Well, that's a great way of doing it. Not. And so I remember that years later. Why? Because he was focused on the external, not the internal. And so we can often say we believe this. But as I reflect on my baptism, that I actually I was, I was disappointed in it. 
As I remember other things that go on in life, I have been focused on the external, not the invisible heart work, which deals with my sin. So God wants, wants us to do, spend more time humbling ourselves before the throne room of God, dealing with some of these patterns of sin, all right? dealing with the stuff that needs to be dealt with, which no one sees but God, and then as an overflow of that heart work, of that circumcision of the heart, to use the biblical phrase, there will come some outward signs. Taking communion, baptism, we'll see whole groups of people being baptized here. We'll see large numbers of communion. We'll see hands raised, but all of that stuff, maybe even some people falling in the spirit, but none of it is outward performance. It is a work of the spirit, and the outward stuff confirms it. And that is what we have to be about as a church. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. And we're just hitting on lunchtime now. But Lord, we thank you and trust and believe and hope that the sign that Stefan and Esther have done by being immersed in the water is a confirmation of a reality that you have already done in their lives. And we pray for us as a church that when we celebrate communion, that when we come to worship and we say the words that are on the screen, that when we talk to people about our Christian faith, that this would be a confirmation of what you have done in our hearts. And, O oh Lord, start with the circumcision of the heart with me. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.